From money mismanagement to computer tracking troubles to parents lying to get their kids into selective schools to sexual abuse allegations. There's a lot of issues happening in Chicago public schools. And that is according to the annual report from CPS Inspector General William Fletcher. So we'll get the latest from Nader Issa, education reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. Hey, Nader. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. And WBEZ education reporter Sarah Karp is also here. Welcome back, Sarah. Hey. I'll start with you, Sarah, on the story that the two of you actually co-reported this week. And it's about a whopping 70,000 electronic devices being marked as lost or stolen. What is going on? Well, this is uh, in the school year of 2021-2022 um, that the inspector general looked at. And, you know, that that is a really large number. But one thing to note is that part of what he looked at was that these devices were marked missing or stolen when, in many cases... No one looked for them. That um, there was, there are not good systems within CPS that to make sure that that these computers are brought back. I mean, he he um, highlighted one teacher who had ten devices in one year marked as missing or stolen. But when they asked that teacher about them, they were like, "Yeah, here's one. The others in a drawer. The others here. The others there." Like. Nobody had ever said that they wanted these computers back, and so they didn't hand them back. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it's it's really more of a systems problem than you know what you might imagine that you know these these computers you know someone's coming into the schools and taking the computers, or even the kids aren't bringing them back. Which I'm sure there is some of that, but a, a lot of this is just that. Yeah, the inventory system yeah. is just a mess. So Nader, it sounds like CPS was at some degree expecting that at least a few of the Chromebooks and the laptops would go missing. You sort of do. You think of when all of these laptops were purchased and sort of added to the inventory that the district already had. There were so many families around the city. This was well documented, extensively reported that so many families didn't have access to computers, didn't have access to Internet when that was sort of the only mode for learning for thousands and thousands of students. And so when you sort of pursue and enact what is a social program in this uh, instance of providing all of these devices to families, there has to be some attrition expected because you're Mm -hmm. doing this for the greater good, sort of the the net benefit is greater than any loss of a few laptops. The difference here is that reporting 11% of the total inventory of the district's uh, laptops and devices missing that's what was seen as a very alarming rate. Yeah, and so they're are they actually getting stolen? Where where are they going? Sarah? Well, that's the thing. I no one really knows, and that was really interesting when we were talking to the inspector general. There were a lot of questions that we asked him, and he's like, "We don't know because <laughs> the system is just so inadequate. It can't give you um, information like where are the computers, what happened to them. I mean, actually, last year." Um, Chalkbeat and WBZ did a joint in investigation looking at, at this precise issue. And one of the things that, that we kind of highlighted that wasn't highlighted in the OIG report is that there's nothing that says whether these computers are being turned on ever. So, like, it doesn't show use. The use, oh, I see. The use um, is all, you know, it'll say it's in use, but then there's not really any way to, to know if it's actually in use, like someone's using it. So I think that that would be a valuable thing because one thing that you would be able to know if you knew that a computer was missing, but 
if it's not being turned on ever, then maybe it's just sitting somewhere. Mm -hmm. So maybe that gives you like a little bit of a hint about what's going on. But all of this, you know, just was not in place when when the school district, you know, brought online thousands and thousands and thousands of computers. And one of the things that the inspector general knocked the school district for was some of what Sarah's talking about, the sort of complete lack of effort to find a lot of these devices. Mm -hmm. When the district, in fact, is paying about $2.6 million a year for software that helps keep track of devices, it would help them turn off a device remotely. It would help them geolocate a device. And the inspector general's report said in the year that they looked at for for this issue only 11 devices were recovered using that software oh. so if, if you do some quick math 2.6 million dollars to find 11 devices it's like two hundred forty thousand dollars a device it's it's not the most efficient use of money if you're right. not going to be using the technology to find your your property so how has cps responded they've said that they're going to make changes they're they're taking most of what the inspector general has recommended they want to get a better inventory system in place and for the school district other than making sure they're keeping track of their property a problem that sort of knowing where your things are is that you're not going to go buy new things if if you know that you still have them and so if you have 40 devices just laying around somewhere in school but they're marked missing you might go buy 40 new devices and that's a waste of money because you already have them in the building. And right. so it's a benefit to them to, to track this. You know, um, in that story that I was talking about with um, that I and one of the reporters from um, Chalkbeat did, one thing that we talked to a principal who received a shipment of 100 computers and he didn't need them, but CPS had no way of really knowing that because a lot of the devices that had been sent to him were, you know, maybe marked as missing. He, he hadn't done an inventory. And, you know, what, one of the systems issues here is that you have all these computers, but there's not really somebody in place, like a staff person to track it. So a lot of times this falls to principals. Some schools, only about a third of schools, have tech coordinators, and they, they tend to do a, a decent job. But otherwise, principals are hiring, like, outside people to come in and, and, and you know, do inventory. And they might not have known, for example, about this tracking system. They might not have known about how you could turn it off or even where to look. And, and so there's a lot of issues there that... Yeah, so then what you wind yeah. up is buying new computers for a school that doesn't need them. And then, you know, one of the things that we found is that at that time, there were about 40,000 devices just sitting in a warehouse because, you know, they didn't exactly have a place to go. And I, I mean, this is this is a really sad thing because you know, the whole the pandemic and COVID relief funds were really a one time thing. And it's a lot of investment in technology and you know, we don't know when is the next time that the school district is going to be able to invest this heavily in technology. Mm -hmm. And so not being sure of the inventory and, and sort of squandering, you know, this opportunity is is a really, you know, really big problem, I think. I want to move to another recent story you all covered, which is a family that lied to get their kids into selective CPS schools. Shocker, Nader. Tell us more. Well, we see one of these, at least one, every year, it feels like, maybe, yeah. maybe multiple years. Probably year. more. And so the latest chapter in this long book of people lying to get into selective enrollment schools is a Lincolnwood family in the north suburbs for six years lied about their residency. They said that they lived in Chicago, 
to get their kids into Decatur Elementary on the north side. Mm-hmm. And Where did which, they actually which live? Which is a selective enrollment school. They lived in Lincolnwood okay. in the north suburbs. The inspector general's office was looking into this. They found that the parents owned a real estate company that had some Chicago addresses, and they were putting down some of those addresses, or one, maybe not some, one of those addresses to say that they lived in Chicago to send their kids to this school. They kept lying about that, allegedly, to the to the investigators, saying that, no, we actually do live in Lincolnwood. Um, then they eventually, once it was closer to time to high school, they did move into the city, but... The inspector general's office says they moved into one of the most affluent parts of the city. And to get their kids into a selective enrollment high school, they lied and said that they lived in one of the poorest neighborhoods in the city. Oh. To get selected in a different socioeconomic tier and basically steal seats from kids in those tiers. Yeah, and so their kids actually did get into those schools. Their kids were admitted. One of them went to Whitney Young's Academic Center, and then one of them went to Northside College Prep, so two of the most elite, high-profile schools in the city. How did CPS find out, Sarah? Oh, we we don't really exactly know how they found out. I mean, the, the Inspector General gets a ton of tips about this, and you know, that's one of the things. I'm, I'm sure this just touches, you know, this is just the tip of the iceberg, that there's probably a lot of other situations like this out there. But, you know, somebody, whether from, it's from the school has a suspicion or whether it's, um, you know, some one of their neighbors or something yeah. who, who sort of says there's something not right here. But, um, but yeah, I mean, this, this goes on every year. A lot of, I mean, suburban kids going to Chicago public schools is... You know, it's it's not a new thing at all. What has the family's response been? Well, we don't really know other than they are no longer allowed to attend selective enrollment schools at CPS. Yeah. They've been banned. The inspector general recommended CPS go after them for a total of $138,000. in. Oh, non- so they might have to pay a fine. Yeah, the, and that's non-resident tuition. There's a set rate every year. And by going to the elementary school on the north side when they lived in the suburbs, they were non-residents attending this school. Mm. Uh, We know that they, in fact, settled for an amount that's a fraction of that. And that's that's often what happens with these cases. They end up settling. Mm. Moving on to another story. The IG also outlined multiple cases of sexual abuse of students by staff. Eight cases in total, Sarah. What's going on? Well, this is one of the roles of the inspector general to look at adult on student um, sexual abuse. That was part of um, an expanded role after um, in 2016, 2017, after a series came out that looked at the fact that the school district was not doing a good job investigating these cases. So he he um, outlines eight, you know, very disturbing cases of sexual abuse in you know, in, in some cases, um, I think two of the cases, it was people who were vendors, worked for vendors, so not CPS employees. You know, organizations brought in to work with students or in, in maybe also, you know, vendors are brought in to do a whole host of things. And then, um, you know, one time it was a security guard and then there were some teachers. And, and these, you know, these are just, just disturbing cases mm-hmm. of just, you know, very bad actors. And then... He also um, outlines a lot of cases of um, sexual misconduct, which is not abuse, and um, you know things where also very disturbing. You know, adults sending 
sexually explicit text messages to children. Um, you know, I mean, just some of, some of these cases that you read through, you're like, how how did this creep get in our schools? And yeah. how, just, how is CPS planning on handling this? Because that that is insane. Well, one of the things that the the inspector general said is that they need to increase training for vendors. I, you know, and I, I of course you need to increase training, but I don't know what training you need to give vendors to be like, don't be, you know, some of the stuff you should know. You shouldn't have to yeah. be trained. I guess more so it's about like reporting, you know, making sure that vendors and everybody knows when to report disturbing behavior and and to make sure that there's some there's something. And then once they find out about this, you know, they there are times that the inspector general brings things to the state's attorney. People get charged. People get put on do not hire lists. And, um, you know, hopefully that helps keep um, some of these people away from children in the future. Mm -hmm. All right, Nader, what can you tell us about an assistant principal that's being charged with stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars from an after school program? It's kind of a shocking amount when you look at it and you consider the time frame this uh, this was. But this is an assistant principal who worked at Skinner West Elementary uh, on the near west side for about 12 years. Uh, she was there from the spring of 2008 to the spring of 2020. And she resigned once the inspector general's office reached out asking questions and wanting to interview her. What the inspector general's office found is that she had created several PayPal accounts to take in money from parents for this after school program that the school operated. It's run by school staff mm -hmm. for several hours after school. And from 2011 to 2019, supposedly a million dollars in parent payments went into these PayPal accounts that were created and run by this assistant principal. The indictment and what the inspector general found is that from 2015 to 2019, she was allegedly then transferring money from those PayPal accounts to a bank account that was listed as the Board of Education City of Chicago which it actually wasn't. It was a personal bank account mm. of this assistant principal. Goodness. And so over those four years, between that and then faking checks, she allegedly was writing checks to her daughters, forging the principal's name, forging other administrators' names. In all, she's accused of stealing $273,000, which over four years, it's almost like another paycheck. It, mm -hmm. it's, it's really a shocking amount of money that she's accused of stealing. Uh, the inspector general's office presented their findings to the Cook County State's Attorney's Office, and prosecutors brought charges in July. Wow. And on the same topic of money, Sarah, there's also been mismanagement of pay? Well, what, this is something that the um, the inspector general has talked about in the past, where you have um, a lot of staff being given overtime um, payments for... Um, you know, there's a there's been actually a a big amount of money that has been put into after school programs, mm -hmm. and one of his concerns has been that that um, people are getting sort of this overtime or after school program money, out of school time program money, um, and and that that maybe it's it's too much or it's being mismanaged. So so that's one of the concerns that he did bring up in the report. So. You also, uh, you recently reported on the CPS Back to Our Future program, Sarah. What's the goal of that? And, and like, who are they targeting? 
Right, and this is actually a, a completely separate from the um, OIG report, but this was a, uh, an analysis done by the University of Chicago on this program called Back to Our Future. This is a really ambitious, expensive program that Chicago Public Schools put in place to try and re-engage kids who um, left school during the pandemic. And so there was like 16,000 kids that um, during the pandemic became inactive. The school district um, decided that they were going to focus on a thousand kids to try who had been out of school for a year or more to try and engage engage them back. Mm-hmm. Um, they got an eighteen million dollars state grant to do so, and you know what what this analysis found is that in the first year they've fallen well short of of their goals. They've um, only engaged with about four hundred and forty six students, and um, those students are not really getting that involved in the program. So what the program is supposed to do is that for 12 weeks, um, they get paid, the students get paid to do a combination of therapy, academic recovery, learn some soft skills. Um, but they're not participating. The students who are engaged are only participating about for about seven hours mm-hmm. a week. And they're supposed to be participating for 20 hours a week. And you know, and and so there's a question like, will those kids then be ready to to reengage in school? And about 70 have reengaged in school, you know, which is well less than a, a thousand. Mm-hmm. However, one thing that the school district says, and I think that it's it is really important to think about: these are kids that are the hardest to reach. These are the, I mean, you, they've been out of school for a year and a half. Some of them are, you know older than school age they're getting to be 19 yeah. 20 so years engagement's old. been a problem so it's, it's anyway ha- it's hard i mean this is like a monumental thing to comp- to convince a young person in this situation that school is the right path for them yeah. and so you know yes it's expensive but we'd probably also be fa- faulting the school district if they weren't trying yeah and so i think that it's you know it's worth saying that that you get one kid a high school degree and a good experience and you know set them on a better trajectory and that can be very very important and one thing that uh the story was by uh sarah and her colleague patrick smith one thing in there a point in that story is that this was the first year they're doing this and it's sort of difficult to get off the ground and you learn lessons as you get going and so maybe in future years they're able to engage more students they learn okay this didn't work with uh, students last year we can do this better Mm -hmm. and you sort of keep growing but a point that uh, someone from the university of chicago made um, one of the the group that did this study is that the city just hasn't prioritized this anyway like there hasn't been any money spent on re-engaging young people in chicago and so it is worth the money and there's a lot of money that's been saved in prior years if we're talking finances by not doing this and and what just one other point is that this is um an education initiative but also one of the studies from this university of chicago unit found that of kids that are shot 90 percent of them are inactive in school so engaging a young person's school is a violence prevention measure Mm -hmm. and you know, one of the kids that we talked to, um, you know, he, he was out of school and he was shot and he was arrested. And the fact that he got his high school diploma, I mean, certainly that saves society money yeah. and, and also helps the, the that young person be on a better trajectory. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know what that's worth, but it's probably worth a lot. 
Well, between that story and the, the IG's report, you certainly have had your hands full. That's Sarah Carp, education reporter for WBEZ, and Nader Issa, education reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. Thank you both. Thank, Thank you. you.